And I want to go to John chapter 20. My plans are not to keep you very long this morning, although those are famous last words. Uh, you can take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but I do want to share something that not only did God speak it to my heart, but even as we've walked through this morning together, I feel very strongly that God wants to speak to you through this portion of Scripture this morning. In verse 24 of John chapter 20, of course, this is John's rendering of the resurrection story and one of the appearances of Jesus after he had risen from the grave. In verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. We'll stop there for, for just a moment. I don't know where Thomas was when Jesus had showed up before, but if you read a little earlier into John chapter 20, you'll find out that the last time Jesus showed up, he appeared to them and he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. And once again, he, he had fellowship with them and he spoke peace to them. And, and, and that, to me anyway, and I'm not a theologian necessarily, but I believe that that was their salvation experience. It was the time when, the, you see, nobody was born again until after Jesus died and rose again because Jesus is the only way to salvation. Up until then, they had been walking in an Old Testament faith. They followed the law and they believed in the law and they, they, gave the, they came and they made their sacrifices and the lambs were slain and the blood was shed. And, and that was the way all of the Old Testament saints had lived up until that time. And until this moment... All these disciples, even though they were following Jesus, they were Old Testament saints because until the substitutional death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were still under the Old Covenant. But now Jesus appears to these disciples and he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to understand, when you are born again, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes in our lives. There is no such thing on this planet as a Christian who does not have the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again to you charismatic Pentecostals. And I'm one of you, but understand this. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. If someone does not have the Holy Spirit, they are not a Christian. And what many times Pentecostals get confused with is what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a secondary experience where people are filled with the Holy Spirit. These same apostles had that take place in Acts chapter 2. They received the Holy Spirit. That point, they received the finished work of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness. The Holy Spirit came to reside within them. Therefore, they were born again. They became what we call Christians today. 
On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with new tongues, and they went out, and they were gifted by the Holy Spirit, and they moved in His gifts. And that is a wonderful experience, but it is secondary to being born again. So if you have a brother or sister in Christ, and they don't believe in quote-unquote, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, understand. They have the same Holy Ghost you do. They cannot be saved unless they do, and I promise you they are saved. Some of them <laughs> some of them act more like Christians than some of us Pentecostals do sometimes. How many of you know that? Let's just be honest. So they walk with Jesus, they talk with Jesus. We, don't, we aren't better or more superior. The only thing we do is we just believe in that outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us to empower us in a different way to do ministries under the modern-day giftings of the Holy Spirit. But where Thomas was when this took place, I don't know. I just know he wasn't there. So I can kind of imagine. And I can imagine where he was by what he said when the disciples came to talk to him. Because the first thing the disciples do, because let me tell you something, when you really meet Jesus, you get excited about it. When you really see him really alive, really in charge, you get excited. So they go to him and say, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him, Thomas. He's alive. We know he's alive. And Thomas makes this statement. He says, unless I see the nail scars in his hand and put my hands on him, unless I touch that wound in his side... He makes this interesting statement. He doesn't say, I can't believe. He says, I will not believe. Otherwise, I refuse to believe that he's alive. I don't care what you say. I refuse to believe he's alive unless I see the wounds and touch the scars. Now, I don't know where Thomas was at the moment, but I do know why he probably wasn't there. Because I've been there. Because, you see, Thomas was unbelievably disappointed and totally disillusioned. Because, you see, he had put his faith in Jesus lock, stock, and barrel. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah that was to come. He believed that Jesus was the Savior of Israel. He fully expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman government to end the unfair system of taxation that they were under because of that and to bring things back to the way things should be. But then Jesus was cruelly taken from them. And he was, in a humiliating fashion, brutally murdered in front of them in such a shameful way. And Thomas was disillusioned and disappointed. Everything he had put his faith in, everything he had hoped for, Everything he knew for the last three and a half years, everything he believed in, he watched it shatter in front of his eyes. He watched it go away. So I don't know exactly where he had found himself. I don't know exactly what he was doing, but I do know why he wasn't there. Because he was hurt, and he was heartbroken. And he didn't understand what was going on around him. And he didn't understand what it was that Jesus was trying to do. Oh, he had heard Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't mysterious about what was taking place. He had tried to prepare the disciples for his crucifixion. He had actually spoken about what would happen to him 
before he was taken away. But for some reason, they couldn't wrap their minds around what was going to take place. All they could see was their hopes and their dreams and their visions and their wishes and what they thought Jesus would do for them. And they couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was trying to tell them had to take place. And so when Jesus was taken and he was so cruelly taken and he died the death that he died and he suffered the way that he suffered, Thomas was finished. And you say, well, Thomas probably always doubted. I don't think so. Because, see, I vividly remember a story when Lazarus, when they got news that Lazarus was dead and, and the, the chief priest and the leaders of the Jews, they had wanted to kill Jesus earlier and Jesus and his disciples had gone away from where they were. But Jesus got news that Lazarus was dead and after a while he said, we're going to go to him. And, and the disciples started to say, but Lord, you know, they were trying to kill you not that long ago. Why would you want to go over there? Especially because Jesus had told them he was sleeping. They thought that was a good thing. But then when Jesus explained very clearly that Lazarus was dead and he was going to raise him up, and he was going to go back to where he was going to be in danger, Thomas is the one that makes this statement. He says, well, let us go and die with him. Because Thomas was sure that if they went back to that place where Jesus had just so recently been persecuted, where he had been so hounded by those who wanted to do away with him, that if they went back, he would die. But Thomas loved Jesus so much, and he was so committed to Jesus, that Thomas was willing to die for him. But then after watching Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion and his humiliation, Thomas could not, and hear me when I say this, Thomas could not wrap his mind around how Jesus could turn this situation around. So he just didn't. You know what happens sometimes when we're heartbroken? You know what happens sometimes when we get dis disappointed and disillusioned? What happens sometimes when we're just afraid to get our hopes up again? We just don't want to be around anybody who might remind us of the vision we used to have or the dream we used to have or what we used to say. or what we, So we just kind of find ourselves avoiding those circumstances and situ, those situations. But the disciples come and say, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I can't. I can't do it again, guys. See, I have some compassion for Thomas because I understand that statement. I can't. Man, I put my whole heart into this and it was just shattered. I can't. I don't know if I can do this again. I, I put everything I believed on the line and everything fell apart. And I just don't know that I've got it in me. I will not do this again. Now, all my life I've heard Thomas kind of, people kind of hard on Thomas, but I completely get him. I totally understand but what I love is that Jesus, knowing, even though he wasn't physically there with them, knowing what he had said, shows up again. Eight days later, he shows up again. And he says, peace unto you. And then he looks at nobody but Thomas, apparently. He says, hey, Thomas, come on over here. Put your hand through the wounds and the scars. Look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. It's me. Whatever you need to do, come on. Now, I've always heard, and, it, and from the context of the Scripture, it looks like Thomas just dropped everything right there and said, my Lord, my God. It doesn't actually say he did that, but it kind of looks like he might have. If he did, that's great. But I don't really care, quite frankly. 
I don't care if he just forgot about his need to touch and feel or if he actually went over and actually put his hand in the side and the wounds. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. The point being is what he said next because that's the core of what I want to talk to you about today. Thomas goes from being disappointed, disillusioned, heartbroken, given up, and we can all understand that, to seeing Jesus again. And then he says, my Lord, and, and this is huge. We don't, in our time, we don't recognize how huge this is. But he doesn't just say, my Lord. He says, my God. Well, of course he's God. We know that. Yeah, we do. But do you understand how world-shaking it was in that day in Jerusalem to call Jesus God? To admit that Jesus is everything he claimed? To say, you are the Messiah indeed. Now I know who you are. What he's saying is, you see, that changes everything. I'm about to say something here that I think is so I think is so important for our day and time. People used to operate on the basis of callings. You used to hear the word calling a lot. I believe God called me to this. Or I believe God called me to that. Or I believe God called me here. You don't hear that that much anymore and there's I think there's a reason. Now pull your toes in, okay? Are you ready? See, because when we say those words, there is a sense of responsibility to those words. If I'm saying God called me to something, there's significance there. If I'm saying God called me, then that means if I step away from that, then I'm stepping away from the calling of God. That's a pretty big deal. So we'd rather not say that. We'd rather say things like, I just felt led. Or, I don't know, I just kind of like it. Or, I don't know, this kind of fits me. I don't know, I'm looking for something that fits. See, it's real easy to step away from something that doesn't fit right or something that doesn't feel right or something that doesn't. But boy, it's a big deal when you're saying, God called me. You see, when Thomas said, you're my Lord and my God, he meant everything changes right now. From this point forward, you are my life, you are my strength, you are my hope, you are my future, you are my peace, you are my everything. From this point forward, I don't do anything without you. From this point forward, whatever you ask, I will do. From this point forward, wherever you go, I will go. From this point forward, whether it feels good, doesn't feel good, whether I like it, whether I don't like it, whether it, whatever it looks like, Jesus, you are God, and if you are God, then you are worth following all the way, even if it takes me to my own cross. And church history actually tells us that Thomas went from being the guy that had to say, I won't believe unless, to going probably and doing mission work into China and being killed himself for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything changed that day. I believe that I'm talking to people who understand what I say we are the I got to see it to believe it generation. 
But I think we've added one more thing to it. It's not only I've got to see it to believe it, I've got to feel it. <laughs> got to feel it. If I don't feel anything, it's not real. If I don't feel anything, God must not be in it. We've got to see it and we've got to feel it. Then we might, might, might believe it. That was Thomas. And I understand him. See, people who are like that are people who have been burned. Don't raise your hand, but think, have you ever been burned? You ever had somebody break a promise, betray a trust, tell you, hey, I'll be here, and then not? Tell you, hey, I'll do this, and then not? People who have been burned are afraid to trust again. People who have been broken are afraid to trust again. People who have been disappointed again and again are afraid to trust again, and that was Thomas. But when he saw Jesus alive, see, it's one thing to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and follow Jesus and experience and see his miracles and his healings and signs and wonders and hear his teaching like no one who they had ever heard teach before. That was all great and wonderful, but you see, it's possible that any great teacher could do that. You see, they had had, understand, they had had miracles in Israel before. Read the Old Testament. But Jesus raised the dead. They had seen people raise the dead before. If they hadn't seen it personally, they'd read about it. Well, well, Jesus healed the sick. Well, they had seen sickness healed before. See, God's always been God. God's been healing the sick all the way. See, we think it's just God's always been healing the sick. God's always been doing these type of things. It happened all throughout the Old Testament. Read the lives of the prophets. They had experienced great preaching before. They had experienced, all, now not so capsulized in one person like Jesus, but yet they had experienced all of that before. It's possible that any great leader, any great teacher, any great man of God so anointed could do that. But you see, only the Messiah, only God could rise from the dead himself. So you see, all the way up to the grave, see, Thomas could follow kind of at a distance. He could be willing even, you know, people will even die for a great cause. And Thomas was willing even to die. He loved Jesus so much he was willing to even die for the cause. But once what he thought was the cause, listen to me, once what he thought was the cause was gone, Thomas wanted to go back to his own thing. Don't get too hard on Thomas because we're exactly the same way. We love to get back to normal. If there's one thing we love, I've learned this, and I'm that way. I'm the same way. I love normal. Whatever it is, I love getting back to it. I must because I always say, man, I wish we could get back to normal. I just can't wait till we get back to normal. Whatever normal is, we sure love it because we always want to get back to it. You see? And if Jesus was just a great teacher or a great prophet or a great healer, then we can do that when the cause is gone. I see so many people get all wound up over causes, good causes, and I'm glad. But you see, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is more than a cause. Jesus is more than a movement. <laughs> Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. <laughs> He's the Messiah. And when it comes to Jesus... He don't want you to just get excited for a little while about a cause. He wants your life. And see, when Thomas saw Jesus standing there, alive, victorious over the grave, then he recognized, you really are 
My Lord, yes, that means sovereign one. You are in control now. Thomas is no longer in control. Oh, I said earlier, I will not believe until I see him, but now I see, so now I lose my rights. I give up all my rights. Now you are sovereign. Now you're in control. Now it's no longer, where does Thomas want to go? It's, Lord, where do you want me to go? It's no longer, Lord, what do I want to do? It's, God, what do you want me to do? It's no longer, where do I feel called and what fits me? And what, it's, God, what do you want for me? What is your calling on me? What is your desire for my life? You are my my Lord, but more importantly, you are my God. You are everything. I can't live without you. I can't exist without you. I can't, not rightly. I, I, you're everything to me. So for the rest of my life, I belong to you. And truly, that is exactly the life Thomas lived from that point forward. All the disciples lived that life. Once they saw Jesus, listen to me, once they saw Jesus alive from the dead. Now here's my question. To the New Testament church of our generation, my question is, maybe we just need to see Jesus alive from the dead. Ah, oh, Brother Lynn, I know he's alive. We talk about that every Easter. I know he rose again. I get it. Hallelujah. No, I didn't say, do you get it? I said, you need to see him. Because, you see, if all this is is let's get together on Sunday and have a good time, then it's not going to ever change your life. It'll change your life as long as you're happy with what fits you, and then it, when it doesn't fit, we'll just move and do whatever. But see, here's the thing. If that's the case, then let me ask you this. Who is it about? See, if that's the case, it's not about Jesus. It's about me. And can I just give you some revelation, not because I'm so smart, but because it's all over the Word of God. This is not about me. Pastor, we know it. Bless God, it's not about you. Well, it's not about you either. It's about Him. This is all about His glory. This is what, this, all about His glory. All about His kingdom. All about His purpose. All about His praise. All about His will. All about His desire. It's all about Him. And you see, you won't know the abundance of life that Jesus has said is yours until we come to a recognition that Jesus, you are everything you claim. And if you, listen, if Jesus is not everything He claims, then forget it. I mean, if I didn't believe his everything he claimed, I wouldn't be rising up early on Sunday morning. I'd get a little more sleep. I know you want to be in bed. I get it. Man, I do too. I get it. I get that extra sleep. If I didn't believe Jesus was everything he claimed to be, there's a lot of things I'd do differently. But if Jesus is everything he claimed, then he's worth my whole life. And not just when I feel like following him. Because let me be honest with you, I don't always feel like following him. Some days are far better than others. Some days I get up and I'm ready to go, and some days I don't want to get up at all. Some days I'm up here on Sundays feeling like praising the Lord, and some days I'm just like, God, let's get this over with. Oh, pastor, you wouldn't. Yeah, I do, and let me tell you something else. Every worship leader on planet Earth does the same thing. So does every preacher. Well, I don't believe that. They just ain't telling you the truth. I'm willing to do it. Not to say I'm the only one, but I'll just tell you the truth. We all put our pants on the same way, and we all get tired, and we all get discouraged, and we all need Jesus. And can I tell you something? I think our modern church has forgotten that because we have church without him all the time. Oh, I don't mean he's not here. I just mean we don't recognize him.
We live our lives without him all the time. We go about our business without him all the time. When's the last time you stopped, got in a prayer closet, shut everything else down and said, God, I can't make it without you. I've got to, got to spend some time with you today. I'm so busy. I know. I know. But you see, what I'm trying to get you to see today is if Jesus says everything he says, then it changes everything. And Jesus is everything he said. And he is worth following. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says right after that. He says, Thomas, you've believed because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. See, we've never seen Jesus in his physical manifestation like he did. But we believed. And Jesus himself said, there's a special blessing there. There's a special blessing when you can get up every day and say, God, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. So, God, I'm going to do what I do. God, I, I don't feel like spending time in the Word today, but I'm going to spend time in the Word any day, anyway because I know I need it. God, I, I don't feel like spending time in prayer today, but, God, I'm going to seek your face because I know I can't make it without you today. God, I don't feel like going to church this morning, but I'm going to church anyway because I know that I need the fellowship of the saints. God, I, I don't feel like stepping away from this sin in my life, but I'm going to step away from this sin in my life because I know it doesn't bring glory to you, and I know it's going to be destructive to me, and I know what your word says. God, I don't want to get a... Oh, let's get real. God, I don't want to get along with this person over here. I don't like this person over here. don't like anything about this person over here, and I just want to let them know how I feel. But I'm not going to do that because you said for me to love one another. You said for me to bless those who persecute me to pray for those who spitefully use me. and See, Jesus, if you are everything you claim to be, and I believe that, then it's got to be more than just following what feels right. It's got to be everything. My Lord and my God. Notice that my, it's personal. It's personal. It's no longer just the group. It's no longer, well, John and Peter and Andrew, they're all my buddies. We've been together for a long time, and they thought you were great, so I just kind of hung out with them. No, it's now you are my Lord, and you're my God. It's personal. I've been blessed to have a godly heritage. Many of you have too. You've been blessed to have parents, grandparents who served God, prayed, walked with God, loved God. Maybe you've been blessed with teachers and mentors, maybe people at the church who, who have been blessings to you. You've watched them walk with God and serve God, and their faith inspires you. But you know, you've got to come to a point where it's not just somebody else's faith that inspires you, but where it's a personal faith that transforms you, that changes you from the inside out, that turns everything in your life around. And that's where Thomas had come this day. He might have missed one meeting, but this time he got the one meeting that mattered. And that was meeting with Jesus. And when he saw him alive, when he saw him victorious over death, hell, and the grave, he recognized who he truly was, my Lord and my God. And Jesus blessed him, but he blessed us even more. He said, if you can believe who I am without ever having to see me. And this is where I want to kind of come to 
wrap this up today, I guess. It's easy to follow when you can see. That's easy. It doesn't take faith to do that. When you see what you want to see, when you feel what you want to feel, it doesn't take any faith to follow that. But when you see nothing and you feel nothing, but you follow anyway, then your devotion is more than to your own emotions and more than to your own dreams. Your devotion must be to someone higher. And that's real faith. You see, we celebrate faith that sees, and, and that's all great, but you see, and, and, and God, don't get me wrong, I have grown up watching God answer prayers and do powerful things. I could tell you literally of miracles that I've watched God do. I've seen God heal. I've seen financial miracles. I've seen God answer prayers that were just amazing the way he answered prayers. I've watched God do things. I've watched God move by ways of the Holy Spirit that would absolutely wipe me out and wipe out everybody around me. I've, I've heard God, not audibly, but I've heard God speak in a way that I know I, I know it was God, and he confirmed it. I have seen the supernatural. I've experienced the supernatural, but I want to get very real with you. If I took all of the supernatural that I've ever seen or felt, put it all into one period of time, it might cover, might, might cover one year of my life, and I'm almost 51. I don't know about you. You may have seen more, but I'm talking about personal. I'm not talking about just things I read about and heard. I'm talking about personal. And, you know, that's fantastic. A lot of people don't have that. But, man, I've seen God, if, if you put it all together, encapsulated it, and put all of those supernatural experiences with God into 24-hour periods of time, I think I might have, I'm just being real, I think I might have a year, maybe. I might be off a little bit one way or the other. But I'm just guessing that. But 50 years of my life then have been spent, I suppose you could say, without seeing or feeling a whole lot. 50 out of 51 almost. I hadn't felt a whole lot, heard a whole lot, saw a whole lot. They were years that I just kept doing what God called me to do and kept saying what, not perfectly now, don't get me wrong, I've messed up here and there, I've got discouraged here and there, I've, I've got downhearted here and there. A few times I've got angry, I've repented, I think of those times, but I, if, if I hadn't, the Lord will remind me, I'm sure, because he's good at that, and I'll have to repent later. But I, I, I've, I've had my bad moments, but for the most part, I've just got up every day and went ahead and prayed and went ahead and studied God's Word and went ahead and loved people and went ahead and came to church and went ahead and did whatever it was God gave me to do when I didn't feel anything, I didn't see anything, I didn't, didn't experience anything. I've watched you guys get wiped out by the Holy Ghost at times, and I've been glad to watch it. I felt nothing. And, man, I felt the Holy Ghost all over me and watched you guys. Apparently, y'all felt nothing because you didn't act like you felt anything. Isn't it weird how that works? So I just guess we better not be basing our discipleship upon what we feel and see. Jesus said to Thomas, he said, you believe, Thomas, because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So I guess what I really feel like I need to ask today, if he's your Lord and your God, if he is what you claim to you, oh, he is that, but I'm saying if he is that to you, then are you willing to keep doing what he called you to do even when you don't feel or see anything? 
Because, you see, that's what discipleship is. We don't preach that a whole lot anymore, but that's what discipleship is. That's what the lordship of Jesus Christ means. To have Jesus as Lord simply means that he's in charge. So that means that every one of my decisions, they're funneled through him. It means that even if the route I'm on right now is not one that I like, (laughs) I'm still looking to him to say, hey, what do you want me to do? And if he says this is the route, then I just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Do you mean that you think that God might want us to be unhappy sometimes? Oh, yeah, I absolutely know. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm convinced God doesn't care that much about whether you're happy. Oh, hold on. Don't throw anything at me. I really don't think that our happiness is God's primary concern, not what we call happy. Because, you see, our happiness to us is all about feelings and circumstances being right. And I don't think God cares that much about that one way or the other. He's very concerned about your joy, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, which is not based on circumstantial situations. He's very concerned about that growing in your life. He's very concerned about your obedience, not because you're earning his love, but because in obedience we walk out our faith and we see that faith bring forth fruit in our lives. He's very concerned about the glory just being honest he's very concerned about the glory of his name (laughs) how many times do you read this phrase for my name's sake for my name's sake notice he didn't say for your church's name's sake or for your name's sake or for your comfort or for your convenience or for your happiness he didn't say any of that he said for my name's sake now modern christianity kind of teaches a different thing all the faith and all the power and all the anointing and all the glory and all the scripture and all that stuff is about you getting in a situation where everything in your life is convenient you're happy and everything's good in your life That's not biblical Christianity. It's modern-day pop psychology filtering as Christianity. And it produces a church, and I don't mean this church, I mean a church, a body of believers that doesn't know how to persist in the middle of a storm and in the middle of difficulty. We want to quit and bail every time the situations get tough, and we never learn that our God is bigger than our storm and our God is bigger than our emotions and our God is bigger than our circumstance our God is bigger than my own wants and my own wishes. When we get to the point where we look to Jesus and we say, you are all that matters. You're Lord and God. And if this is the path you've marked out for me, then this is the path I will walk, whether I'm happy or not, whether I feel good or not, whether there's joy or not. And you'll have everybody and his brother telling you how awful it is and how you, you know God wants you happy. No, God wants you home. And whatever the path takes to get you home, he's willing to take you through it. I don't believe that. Well, then go to Psalm 23, and that's where we'll close, because I guarantee you, you love Psalm 23. Every Christian I've ever met, even lost people love Psalm 23. But right in the middle of that awesome and wonderful psalm, it says, Yea, Though I walk. You ought to circle highlight this word. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because all my circumstances are pleasant. Not because of the way I feel or any of that but back to what really matters.
Because even here, what matters is that you are with me. I remember being at altars, tiny little churches that most people would have thought God was nowhere near because by the modern day schematic of everything being judged by what we think is success, then apparently God had passed them by. But some of the greatest moves of the Holy Spirit I've ever been in in my life happened in those little altars and those little churches. Those are always the churches that my mom and dad pastored, and so I grew up in them. And, boy, I got filled with the Holy Ghost in one of those little churches. I got saved in one of those little churches. I experienced the calling of God on my life in one of those little churches. I saw God move in those little churches. But the reason I bring all of that up is because I think it's important that you and I understand. You see, those were days when the nation wasn't like it is now. You can say what you want to do about this nation, but I'm going to tell you something. Boy, I remember the days when people struggled to put gas in the car. I don't, I'm not saying they complained about the gas prices. I'm saying they struggled to get gas in the car to get to where they needed to be. I remember growing up where, man, it, it was just a miracle if your car got from one place to the other because they couldn't afford to get it into the shop to get it fixed. We aren't talking about keeping the service done. We're talking about keeping the engine going. I remember when we ate bologna and potted meat sandwich. Anybody remember potted meat sandwiches? Oh, my. I do, too. Never have eaten them since I was an adult because I had a choice. It was done after I was an adult. But we ate potted meat sandwiches because many times that's all we could afford is bologna and potted meat, crackers. We drove an old truck that, as a child, I was embarrassed by to pull up in. Many times we lived in houses that you wouldn't necessarily been excited about bringing people home to. It's all mom and dad could afford. There was always love in that house. But I bring all that up to say, oh, feel sorry for me. It wasn't unusual. That was most everybody I knew lived like that in those days. Most everybody I knew. And we went to these little churches that they didn't have much, but boy, they had people who knew that they had to have Jesus to get through. And when the church service was over, first of all, now everybody knows this about my daddy because you, you know it. He'd be there before. That wasn't anything new, by the way. He was at church an hour before it started, at least half an hour, and stayed around usually afterwards. That's been the way it was all my life. But they'd get to church early. It originally started because Mama wanted to get to the altar to pray before service and so she'd get to the altar to pray before service and then after service when as a kid I wanted to go home and watch TV what little I could get in before I had to go to bed because it was a school night I never got to get home because not only would mama go to pray before service it would be at least an hour after service because she and everybody else in the church would be up at the altars praying and the Holy Ghost would fall down on the church back at that time I didn't care I was just missing whatever I wanted to watch at TV but boy I value it now because I understand that they they found what was real in the not outside of their need but right in the middle of the need they found a God who was bigger than poverty and bigger than sickness and bigger than death and bigger than problems and my question to us today they found what Thomas had found they said you are my Lord and my God and I'll follow you no matter what and my question today is have we become so at ease in Zion that we don't even know what that is anymore. And if we have, my Christ, but Brother Lynn, I've tried before. 
I've got my hopes up before. I've dreamed before. And I've always been disillusioned. I will not unless I see it. You've got somebody that you can identify with. And here's the good news. Jesus loves you so much. He'll come showing up when you least expect it. Maybe eight days, maybe eight weeks, maybe eight months later, but he'll show up. And when he does, all I can ask you to do is will you just see him? Will you just see him? I mean, just him. For that moment, can you get your eyes off of everything else and just see him? Because if you do, you can say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. That's all that matters. From this point forward, you are all that matters. Everything else is insignificant in comparison to who you are. Are. Not Notice, not what you do, who you are. See, when you follow Jesus because of who he is, not what he does, <laughs> oh, you'll get everything that he does. But when you don't feel or see anything, you'll keep following because the reason you're following is because of who he is. I want you to bow your heads with me today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just give this word to you, all of it. Father, we've tried to share what I believe you put in our hearts to speak today. Father, you know everybody in this room, you know every circumstance and every home, every marriage, every family, every individual life. You understand us. You know exactly where we are. So I thank you that you will take this word and apply it to each of our hearts. I thank you it will not return to you empty. It will accomplish the purpose you sent it for. God, I pray first of all, that today you would help us to get our eyes off of anything, anybody else, and simply see you. You are risen indeed. Help us see you, our risen Lord. And God, when we see you, Lord, I just thank you that all of our disappointments, our heartbreak, our disillusionment, our fear, our anxiety, Father God, it can just pass away as we say, you, you are my Lord. You're my God. You're everything that matters. Let me just follow you wherever you go. God, I don't ask you to make my way easy. I just want to follow you wherever you go. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. In the low places, if that's where you are, that's where I want to be. In the high places, that's where I want to be. I, I just want to be with you. That's enough for me. It's enough for me that you're with me all the time, just holding on to you, my Lord, my God. Help us, God, to see you, to trust you, to give everything to you. In Jesus' name, with your head.